report on his work in Peru. I will get out of your way. Well, first of all, thank you so much for letting us come. Um, as was mentioned, we were taken on by Countryside when it was in early stages of existence. I think in either 85 or 86, um, we got an invitation. Um, we had worked with Ellen Barnett in Mexico for two months in 84, and then um, started the process to become career missionaries. Um, so the church has been with us a long time. We thank you for having a part in our ministry. And I just want to tell a little um, event that happened um, that sort of portrays some of the things that God is doing um, in the work. And um, let me just preface it by saying my, my grandfather went out as a missionary in 1917 and um, died in Bolivia in 1935. My dad was born in Bolivia, came back to Peru as a missionary, and I was dragged along as an 11-year-old uh, to Peru and um, learned Spanish, learned soccer, and learned to love the mountains because um, the Peruvian Andes Mountains, not, nothing like Nepal, nothing like Mount Everest, but, you know, in the low 20,000 feet above sea level is, is not unheard of um, through those mountains. And so I learned to love that. And while I was there as a kid, my dad and a Peruvian friend and I went on a Sunday afternoon hike. We'd been to church, had our Sunday lunch, and just decided to go out and enjoy nature and, and, and see some of the beauty. And in the mountains, you go up a certain distance and you get these beautiful vistas. And so we were up there and it was time to come back. And I think it was around four in the afternoon, we started coming back down towards the town of Wanta where we lived, and we were attacked by 40-some very drunk, very angry Quechua Indians and dragged off. Um, my dad and the Peruvian guy were knocked around a little bit. They sort of left me alone since I was just a kid. Um, but once we were in this little building, um, that they, eventually, they, they evidently had two purposes for this building. It had a cross in it that was so big it couldn't stand up, so it was leaning at an angle because it was too big to fit. And, um, and there's a holding cell for wandering missionaries. Now, I don't know <laughs> what all they used it for, but at least that day it was our prison, and we're, we're in there with all of these um, drunk Quechuas accusing us and, and threatening us. And I remember I was kind of shaky and, and, and scared. Um, and then one of the ladies came over and said, you know we're going to kill you. There's an axe over there, and we are going to cut off your heads. And as a 12-year-old, I was thinking, there's three of us, there's 40 of them. I guess if that's what they want to do, they're going to win. And instead of becoming more scared, the Lord gave me a great sense of peace. Just, you could be in heaven today, and there's nothing better than that. And the fear went away. My knees stopped knocking together, and I was just was overwhelmed with that thought. And um, obviously, they didn't kill us, because here we are. And um, a sober guy, who was kind of a rare thing in that village at that moment, came and said, what are you guys doing? 
And um, they're like, well, we caught these people and, you know, we're not sure what they're doing. Maybe they're desecrating our shrine up on the mountain. We, we have captured them and, and we're going to take justice into our own hands. And, and he said, no, you need to let them go. Well, they didn't want to let us go, so they ended up compromising and they took us down to the town of Wanta to the police station and we're going to turn us over to the police. And I was like, oh, we're home free. I would go down every Saturday morning with another Peruvian friend and play black basketball with the police at the jail. They had a, a basketball court there. So we would play on Saturdays. It was funny, if we were lacking players, they would pull prisoners out of the jail to come play basketball with us. And um, I began to get just a hint of the, the justice system of Peru because the people in jail were nicer than the jail keepers when we played basketball. But anyway, they, they told the people, what are you doing? And, and um, the police thunked them on the head and sent them back up to their village and let us go back to our house, um, a little worse for the wear. And that was kind of the end of the story. And um, I hadn't thought about it for a long time. Well, early last year, I was invited to go to a meeting of Presbyterian churches to a place called Caja, right near Wanta. I thought, oh, that's awesome, we'll go. And so I gathered some of our, our Peruvian church leaders, pastors, elders, one of our candidates. We loaded up into my truck and we headed off on a 14-hour trip to Wanta, actually 15 and a half hours, as it turned out. 15 and a half hours, we drove through the mountains of Peru, got to this place where I had grown up as a kid. And the next morning, we get into my truck and start heading up the mountain. And I'm beginning to think, wait a second, this is where that event happened. And this is where, you know, we were, you know, held and threatened and all that kind of stuff. And as we're getting closer to the place, I, I started telling one of the Peruvian guys the story. I was like, you know, this is what happened, and this looks really familiar. And they said, well, you should ask the pastor because he's been around a while. Ask him if they remember anything about that. So we get out of the truck, and there's this little Presbyterian church, and we go into the church, and I see that the pastor, you know, has a few years. Um, and, and I said, do you ever remember about, you know, there's a, a missionary and a kid and a Peruvian guy that came up here and they kind of got beat up and they kind of got threatened? And um, actually, I didn't tell him how many of us there were. He said, oh, there were three of you. And I was like, he knows. Somehow this has become, you know, a legend. And, um, and then he said, but I wasn't one of the people that did that. I was just a little kid at the time said most of the people that were in on that have died since. And I wanted at that moment, I wished my dad was alive and I could say, Dad, you would not believe what happened in this very place where they were drunk and beating us up and threatening us, and now there's a little Presbyterian church right there. I was like, is that not like God? You know, put, put his church right on the devil's back step because this was not a good place back in the in the 60s when this happened. And, um, and that's one of the beauties of, of being on the mission field. We're not like the great missionaries like Hudson Taylor and David Livingston, like the really awesome guys. We're just kind of like the bench warmers. We, we, we don't do those awesome things. There will be no books written about us. <laughs> Good thing. Um, but 
one of the beauties of being a missionary is being able to witness Christ building his church in places where you'd least expect and allowing us to plant seeds. Um, as we heard in Sunday school, we don't have the power to save anybody, but we can plant seeds and God takes those seeds and uses the power of the gospel to bring those people to himself. So here's this little church and from the generation of my dad and those missionaries, they planted seeds here, here and there and, and there wasn't much happening. We didn't see a lot of impressive stuff. I think there was one church in Ayacucho and then maybe a second one grew uh, just outside of Ayacucho in Wanta. There was a church, few around there. Well, when I got back to Peru, there were 200 plus, maybe 220 small Presbyterian congregations around southern Peru. So the Lord had taken those little seeds and multiplied them. And um, one of the big challenges now that we're involved with is that there are hardly any pastors for those 220 plus congregations. A lot of them are led by ruling elders and you know, that's, that's certainly legitimate, biblical. Um, but no pastor trained in the word of God to really go deep. And so a lot of the preaching, a lot of the teaching is, is sort of shallow and these churches have become weak because of that leadership problem. So going back to Want again, where I grew up as a kid, there was a little Christian radio station that was started there by my dad and the other missionaries. And um, I used to go downstairs because it was run out of a basement of one of the missionary homes uh, with a little, started with a 250 watt transmitter and then moved up to a whopping 1000 uh, watt transmitter. That's less than what's being used for these lights right here in the sanctuary. So it was not a real powerful transmitter, but it was getting around. And that radio station is still there, and I was just this year asked to take over the fundraising for that radio station. Well, I didn't want to do just fundraising because I, I don't like fundraising. I'm not good at it, never have liked it. But here's one of the things I do like. Radio Amalta still reaches out into those Quechua communities in the mountains like Jaja, like uh, other you know, places. And it occurred to me that I know the most trustworthy, the pastors who have the best track record in Peru who speak Quechua. And that's what this radio station works in is the, the Quechua language. And I thought maybe the Lord's putting me in this position to bring this, this, these two together, these older trusted uh, Peruvian pastors. We call ourselves secondhand lions because we're old but we're still fighting. <laughs> um, we... Um, and take Radio Malta, which has been preaching in Quechua, teaching the word, but taking these two and joining them and helping Radio Malta become a strategic tool to train the next generation of Presbyterian leaders in Peru. And um, desperate need for it. Like I say, 200 plus congregations and probably maybe 20 or 30 pastors divided up between those 200 congregations. So a lot of them just being led by people who maybe have a fifth grade primary education up to maybe second or third year of high school. No seminary, no Bible college. Um, and the word is powerful, but it needs people that can rightly divide the word of God, like, like Paul exhorted Timothy, people that really um, can dig in, um, can find the, the, the deeper meaning, and um, we need those people. And so that's an exciting thing for me, 
to be able to participate with Radio Mauta, with the Secondhand Lions, and see if we can't uh, work towards having a Presbyterian church in Peru that is well-led. And um, I mean, you guys get teaching from somebody who knows their way around the Bible every Sunday. It's just kind of something we take for granted. Um, but when you're in a church that doesn't have that person, and the preaching is maybe painful because it's so shallow and you have to go home and wonder if you even really got the real meaning, um, you can understand why this is a big prayer request um, that we could see more leaders in Peru. So thank you for being a part of that with us, and thank you for being so faithful to us through the years. <laughs>